This is FemPower Health. Each week, top women's health experts dispel fact from fiction. The most important pelvic floor exercise is not the Kegel. Challenge the status quo. It's never easy to challenge the accepted leaders, and especially if you're a woman. Provide perspective on why your healthcare journey may be so tough. All of that fear and worry, it all upregulates our nervous system, puts us into fight or flight mode, and increases our pain sensitivity. And what you can do about it. The number one thing is you have to advocate for yourself, and you have to be prepared. Your journey to get empowered starts now. And the other thing that you're going to get kickback on is a lot of doctors will say hormone imbalances don't exist. There's a big push right now on Instagram to kind of shoot down this concept of hormone imbalance. But yet, if you go in and you have polycystic ovarian syndrome or irregular periods, they'll put you on a birth control pill. So they are treating it with hormones, but they're saying it doesn't exist. Hi, everyone. I'm excited to bring to you this episode with Dr. Sean Tassone. He is a double-boarded physician in obstetrics and gynecology, as well as integrative medicine. He's a practicing OBGYN, speaker, patient advocate, and author. And we are here to talk about hormones. And what I love about Dr. Tassone's philosophy is he says the human body was made to heal itself and the medical model should involve more patient-centered care with an active patient and a passive healer. And that is definitely a theme that is discussed so much on this podcast. So what are we talking about today? So Dr. Tassone will answer questions like how we can understand which hormonal archetype we are and what is an archetype? Well, he's gonna get into that in the episode and we'll get a better idea of you know, what these different signs and symptoms that we have around our hormonal imbalance and which of those may be out of balance and what we can do about each of those to get back into balance. We're going to even talk about testing for hormones because we know you can test through saliva, blood, urine, but which of those are most effective and are they by the type of hormone that you're testing? So we'll get into all of that and more. So let's hear from Dr. Tassone. What I love that you said is you started out by talking about how for centuries, Western medicine and society at large have tended to connect a woman's mood and emotional state, as well as her physical state with her hormones. Now you are a hormone specialist. So tell us about what a hormone specialist does outside of the obvious you specialize in hormones and that statement. Well, I think the, the, the reason that I made that connection and I talk about that in the book is even when I was like a youngster, like a teenager, um, if my mom was angry at me, uh, I would ask her if she took her pill, meaning her Premarin at the time. So even as a teenager in the eighties, I had this understanding somehow that, uh, anytime a woman is mad at you, it has to be her hormones. You know, it's not that, I was being a jerk or that I did something wrong. It was obviously the hormone problem. And so that statement, and even, even back in, you know, medieval times and Greek times, the word hysterectomy comes from the word hysteria. And so you're basically, when you cut the uterus out, they, they thought that you were cutting out the crazy. 
And so I think that that is somewhat perpetuated in society. And I guess what I do, what I've done over the last 20 years or so, and not, you know, not, I think at the very beginning, but as I aged, I got a little bit better, was listening. And what I've done is really kind of listened over the last 20 years or so and and formulated 12 different storylines that I found um, just through my own um, patients that there were con- common connections between certain hormones and certain stories. And that narrative part, that that narrative medicine, if you will, is really kind of something that I just sort of stumbled onto over the years. And I think that when I talk to patients, I can make that connection with them because I've listened to other women that have similar problems. You list 12 different archetypes. And what I, I have to chuckle because I'm a consultant by day and as consultants, you know, we use frameworks and to help with processes and organize things when things are chaotic to be overly simplistic about it. And so I really appreciated your archetypes because in all the interviews that I've done and with the friends that I've spoken with, and even in my own experiences, you know, I've always wondered, like, how do we explain this better? Because I think with our quick fix society, um, social media is definitely not helping I think we oversimplify the complexity of hormones and I think people are starting to get it, but it's hard to like put a finger on exactly what that means. And I love the way you did the archetypes and I took the test. So for those who are listening, I'll put the link to the test in the show notes. And um, I tested as the mother. It was a, it was a really interesting test, by the way, I really struggle with multiple choice. So, and I know you did have the range of one to five, but I struggled, but tell us about the, the archetype. So you framed up why you did that, but maybe you can talk a little bit more about what's in it. And then I can ask some more questions because I love how you laid it out in your book. I guess, you know, my own introduction into archetypes was after my mom passed away. The very, um, one of the very first books I read uh, was called Sacred Contracts by uh, Caroline Mace. I liked it so much because it made a lot of sense that when we interact with each other, we bring forward um, these archetypes like, you know, the wounded child and, you know, the father and, the do- you know, all these different types of the way that you speak. And so it made a lot of sense to me. So I actually did some training with uh, Dr. Mace and, and spent a year or two doing some of her stuff. And And it just, it made sense to me. And so when I look at things, when I was looking at at hormones, I kind of had that framework in mind um, because it made sense to me. And I was like, well, stories make sense. So what, what I find is that if I talk to a patient about say low testosterone and you kind of get the glassy eyed look and, and, and not that they're connecting. If I talk about the nun, which is testosterone deficiency, and I talk about the story of the nun, it's like just a lot more engagement. Like, oh my God, that, that totally describes me. Or yes, I, I love that. That's, that's what I feel. And then what I did was I'm like, okay, well, what are some of the, you know, when is it a problem when you're a nun? Well, nuns for, you know, most of the women that I talk to aren't nuns, obviously. And, but if nuns cloister, if they stay inside, which is what some of them do because they're supposed to, but for a person that's living in the outside world, that's not a good thing. And testosterone deficiency, that's one of the symptoms. You just don't want to go out and do stuff. And so, you know, the way that I looked at this and the way that I eventually planned out, well, then how do I help nuns or how do I help queens or how do I help mothers? 
was to come up with a framework. And, and that's where I came up with uh, spiritual practice, hormones, uh, infaceutical information like energy, the body recognizes nutrition, exercise and supplements. Right. Your science protocol. Mm-hmm. Um, I did want to bring up another comment that, well, two quotes, and I can just say them together. So one is trying to live a busy life with your hormones out of balance or depleted is a bit like driving your car down the road with the gas tank close to empty. So I think for those listening and that resonates, um, definitely take that, take a note of that. And, and that is talked about in some of the archetypes. But the other thing that I wanted to bring up about hormones is how you stated that hormone balance point will be different from your mother's and your sister's and your girlfriend's, which is so important. But then you also talked about normal ranges when it comes to blood work. And this is something that, you know, I've been frustrated by too, the more I'm getting to to know about the depth of different types of hormones. So we've, we've talked about they're different for everyone. It's not the same. We do have these blood tests that we take in a doctor's office and there's a range given. And then a doctor says, yay or nay. But for those who want to get an intro on the types of things you're talking about, tell us more about what normal is for a given hormone type. Well, I think the point that you're bringing up is um, one, this range, and let's just stick with testosterone. So if you look at free testosterone, which is the active amount of testosterone circulating in your bloodstream, um, a free testosterone range is say 0.2 to 6.4, which is a 32 fold span. You know, it's, it's a large area, but a, most women that I see will come in around 0.4 to 0.8, which is normal. So doctors will say, well, you're normal. The problem is this, and this is, I like to talk in analogies because I think it makes it easier for people to feel it. It's like saying that you're either in the house or you're not in the house. Okay. So saying that you had a 0.4 on your free testosterone, you're in the house. The problem is where are you in the house? So it's, it's your, you could be laying on the floor in the basement. That to me does not sound like as good of a time as if you're on the main floor, which would be just kind of right in the middle of normal. So when I talk about hormones, I will talk to women in that, where are they? Sometimes, you know, you're on the stairs in between the basement and the main floor. And you'd be surprised sometimes just bringing somebody up to the middle of normal, they feel like a completely different person. And you also have to look at it like this. So one is, where are you in the house? And two would be, how do you feel? Because if, if you don't feel like it's a problem, like you're fine, then that level for you is okay. But if you have a lot of the symptoms, say, of low testosterone, so like you're fatigued, especially in the afternoons, your your hair is thinning, um, your workouts are suffering. If it was a T-shirt, it would just say, meh, like, I don't care. Um, and, and I get a lot of women like, oh, my God, yes. And, and if that is, is kind of interfering with the way that you want to live your life, then I think we have a problem and we probably should look at fixing it. So just because you're in the normal range doesn't mean that you're going to feel good. How would one work through that with their clinician? It's really hard to go deep. So unless you're finding an OBGYN, for example, who you know, specialized in something like you talked about in the book, you know, look for people who specialized in hormones. Mm. So, you know, what is the path that women can realistically take? I think there's two types. There's two extremes that bring up red flags for me. One is a provider that 
minimizes everything. So it's normal. Don't worry about it. You're fine. You're just getting older, whatever. And then the other extreme is the providers that make it so complicated that you're taking four or five different things and three supplements and you're taking them at different times of the day. Because I think sometimes when you make it super complex like that, you're almost trying to disguise your your that your lack of knowledge because you're making it so complex that the patients kind of sometimes think well they must know what they're talking about because I can't even follow what's going on it should be somewhere in the middle and you should be an active participant in that in the sense that one you should be recognized um, if you're told that your labs are normal but you feel bad you don't feel good then something must be off. I mean, that's just the way it is. Now, maybe it's not hormones, but but most of the time what I see is most women that feel poorly are probably in that lower 25th percentile of normal. So they're at the bottom of normal. And usually it's gonna be testosterone and thyroid that do that. But then you also have to look at estrogen and progesterone, not just are they in the normal range, but how do they compare to each other. And the other thing that you're going to get kicked back on is a lot of doctors will say hormone imbalances don't exist. There's a big push right now on Instagram to kind of shoot down this concept of hormone imbalance. But yet, if you go in and you have polycystic ovarian syndrome or irregular periods, they'll put you on a birth control pill. So they are treating it with hormones, but they're saying it doesn't exist. So I think they're confused, but there are times in a woman's life when hormone imbalance is normal. Puberty, menopause, pregnancy, certain times in the menstrual cycle. When I believe that imbalance is a problem is when it's interfering with how you want to live your life. So sure, they can, you can have hormones that are out of whack. And if they're not bothering you, that's fine. But if you are being bothered and if you go into your doctor and you're saying, look, I can't get out of bed, I've gained 10 pounds, my hair is thin. You're listing all these things from hypothyroid and your, your free T3, which is your active thyroid hormone is 2.3, which is right at the bottom of normal. Well, why not treat that? Why not bump that up to the middle? You could actually um, increase that by a good 70% and it would still be normal, but you might feel a lot better increasing your metabolism 70%, you know? Yeah, that was really interesting to read because I've interviewed a couple of thyroid experts. I know that the the thing we've often talked about is TSH tends to be the main test people will take, take these others. I'd never heard that next level down of even if you take like the T3 and T4 and it comes in that normal range, you know, there's still other considerations to look at. So that's such an interesting way to look at. And honestly, it makes sense. It, it truly does make sense. Well, the way that they get the lab values, the ranges on the lab values is they'll get like a thousand people or 10,000 people and they'll, they'll just ask them, you know, what are your, you know, how do you feel? If, if they report that they feel normal, what they'll do is they'll, they'll draw like say a free T3 on 10,000 people and they'll take the top 5% and the bottom 5% and they'll make that abnormal. But that doesn't mean that you're, interpersonal or your actual lab result is normal for you, it means it was normal for those thousand people that they did the test on. And so lab ranges, and I think the other thing we get confused about, it's not like we're talking about a blood count. Blood count, they can tell you, you know, it's anemia because our blood, we're human beings. So for a human being, we know what normal blood count is. 
there really isn't a variation in your blood count. It just is what it is. So if it's low, you probably don't feel good. And, and we know that there's a problem because it should be this level with progesterone or testosterone. They're not essential for life. So, you know, you could have a zero and it would still be considered kind of normal. Some lab values for testosterone show zero as a normal level. I don't understand how zero can be normal, but that, but that's the report. So you could be 0.1 and it's normal. I could multiply that value 64 times and it would still be normal, but you might feel better, you know? Okay. Fascinated to read this because I had never heard this. So I think you should tell everyone about it is the androgel story, the testosterone story. That was absolutely fascinating. I think we should bring it up because that is so unique that I don't know if people would well, necessarily think to ask woman, that question. <laughs> yeah. Whenever you see a, a woman that has high testosterone um, there and she's not taking anything. Um, you need to know why. Now, the number one cause that I see in my practice for high testosterone is pellets. Um, and that's pretty obvious because you're on something. But if you're not taking any hormones, there's only two, there's only really a few places you can get testosterone, ovaries, adrenal glands, and exogenous topical or oral um, testosterone. So I had a lady come in that um, she was pretty fit, fit lady, but she didn't feel great. Um, and when we checked her testosterone, it was through the roof. And it turns out that her husband was using something called androgel and he would apply it on his abdomen. Well, then he would always do it, um, usually when they went to bed and then they would have sex and, you know, you're touching and it's sweaty. And so most of the dose was transferring over to her. And so she had this estrogen or testosterone level that was through the roof. So um, you have to do, you know, and I've found women that also have had um, adrenal tumors that have high testosterone. So whenever you see super high values, you obviously want to investigate why. And the androgel, you did say that if the man, it's not like you can never be with your partner. It's have, make sure that the androgel sucks into their skin and then you could yeah, interact or, or put it on <laughs> or don't have sex like 10 minutes after you put it on or, you know. That was fascinating. And then the other um, information that I hadn't seen before, if I have, I just don't remember is the, is it estrogen progesterone or progesterone estrogen ratio? Talk to us about that. So this isn't something that's, you know, in the medical literature, I think, you know, a lot of practitioners talk about it. It's, it's somewhat anecdotal in the sense that, you know, I have seen in my patient population, if the estrogen to progesterone ratio is around 10 or 20 to one, that is when I usually see most women say they feel good. Um, when your estrogen is too high, like a lot of women, and, and like I said, it will be imbalanced at certain parts of the cycle. So in the first two weeks, your estrogen will be much higher than your progesterone. However, if you have that same imbalance in the second half of your cycle, when your progesterone should be peaking, that might not feel good. And that's when women complain of a lot of uh, PMS, PMDD type symptoms. So that ratio I'm looking for, especially in women that are taking hormones. So if you're using estradiol and progesterone, I really would like to see that ratio get somewhat close to 10 or 20 to one. Um, if we get labs drawn in the second half of your cycle and it's not 10 or 20 to one, I, I want to look at that a little bit more, but if you're in the first couple of days of your cycle, 
and your estrogen and progesterone ratio is like 400 to one, that's fairly common and pretty normal. Um, so it just depends on where you are in your cycle too, when you get your blood drawn. What do you do with these ranges that come in? Because even in the lab work, it doesn't say if you're in this phase of life. So if you're an adolescent or your reproductive years or in perimenopause or your post-menopause, it doesn't say, therefore, these should be the lab value ranges. It's just a generic range. And it just basically talks about your luteal versus follicular phase, et cetera. Let's say if someone's trying to collaborate with their doctor and maybe the doctor is very much using the literal lab values that come in. If a woman is trying to be proactive and understand her lab values and is in various phases of her life, like how would we be able to understand that as well? Well, ideally, if you have the ability to do so drawing blood on cycle day number 21, 22 would be great. If you don't know when your cycle is, then I just say it's hard sometimes off of one set of lab draws. Yep. The, the information, the more you can get. So over time, maybe two or three lab draws. And I always tell my patients this, um, I may not be able to get you there off of one lab test. You know, we might have to over time keep doing it, but we can do it eventually. It's just sometimes you got to gather more data points, but if you can time it because you know, when she has a cycle, that would be probably the second half in the middle of that second half around 21 would be a great time to do the testing. But sometimes you like, you don't, you don't know. And, and it's, it's the easiest women to deal with are the ones that are in menopause because they're basically at zero. So they don't, and they don't go up and down. They're just always kind of at at zero. Perimenopause is tough because they go up and down. And I work with young women too in their twenties and, um, they're a little easier just because they tend to have more routine cycles, but, um, but not always. And so it's just, you know, I always just say, whenever practitioners ask that question on some of the Facebook groups, I just say, just start, just get the labs, you know, look at the lab values. If you don't know where she is in her cycle, you can kind of tell also by her symptoms. So let's say she hasn't had a period for eight weeks. We draw her blood. Her progesterone is very low. Um, and she's having a lot of headaches and um, breast tenderness, bleeding and things like that, um, irregular bleeding, then it's probably because her estrogen is just not being balanced out by progesterone. And I'll just give progesterone for a couple of weeks and see how we do. And it comes from experience too. That's why I have a problem with some of these folks who do present to themselves as hormone experts, but they really don't have the the practice depth that you probably should have. I mean, everybody's an expert nowadays and everything. So it's hard for women to really know. And then when there are experts like GYNs, they don't sometimes always give you the attention that you want and they kind of blow you off. So I know it's, it's difficult to find that. And I also like to break down that barrier that it should cost a lot of money. Sometimes we have this belief system that if somebody's charging $500, it must be worth more because they're charging more than somebody who say takes insurance, which is what I do currently. And, you know, it's, but it's not always true. So um, you really have to be a, a savvy shopper. One of the things too, that's really frustrating about our healthcare system is not only that it seems the, I guess, incentives um, for lack of a better word at the moment for, you know, the insurance carriers, the patient's, doctors, especially those who work at large institutions, um, they're all not centered around the same goal. So I know like um, some physicians I've spoken to, like they've told me, 
you know, my metrics are based on new patients. And so I have to prioritize new patients and it is the hardest thing. But the problem is I have to be part of the system because in order to do surgery, I have to be part of this hospital. So it's just a, a very complex, um, frustrating sy- system. So now when you talked about repetitive blood work, and since you take insurance, this is a perfect question to ask you, do insurance carriers tend to cover the repetitive blood work? Uh, usually if you go get your blood drawn, say at a big lab company like Quest or LabCorp, CPL, one of these bigger companies, they will tell you before they draw your blood that it's covered or not and how much it costs. What also happens, and this happened with Quest recently for me, is they started changing things. So um, if I don't use the right codes, like um, for vitamin D, if you don't actually use the code vitamin D deficiency, then they'll charge the patient $200. And sometimes it takes me a phone call or two from a patient to say, hey, they charged me a couple hundred dollars because everything was fine for a while. Now all of a sudden they've changed it. And so you have to kind of stay up and you have to listen to your patients. But I would say 95% of the time when I order something, it's covered. I believe that if coding was done improperly, they can go back. So for anyone who's listening, don't just assume because you got billed, you're stuck with it. Like definitely work with your provider. I would would call the lab and I would ask them for the codes that they know, like that get covered. So like if, cause it's different for someone that's 29 and someone that's 59 too, you can code menopausal symptoms and that'll be covered in a 59 year old, but I can't code that in a 29 year old, but they'll cover irregular periods. So it's like, really? Yeah. You just have to know how to code it. And then testing types. So you covered this at a, at a, um, in great details, but maybe we can do it at a high level. I know you said testing over time and we now have a lot of these at home tests that you can do through saliva and urine and dried urine through the Dutch test. So talk to us about the types and, you know, for anyone who wants the great details, definitely check out the book because you go through the pros and cons and every nuance of it. And I love the, and you talked about like for this type of hormone, it should be this kind of test. So the three types of testing that are currently available, uh, blood, urine, and saliva. Blood is uh, extremely accurate because it's in your blood. But we have different types of hormones in blood. We have hormones that are free-floating, like I talked about, free testosterone, and those are the active. And we also have bound hormones. So sometimes people will just order the total testosterone, which doesn't actually tell me what's active in the body. But blood is, blood is very accurate. It's usually covered by insurance. It's, uh, you get your results rather quickly, probably within two to five days. It also checks for thyroid and vitamin D, which the urine and um, saliva do not. So that's another positive for blood. And it's, you know, it's, it's a little, you know, you got to have the needle stick, which is a con. Um, you got to drive to the lab, but you can also order home labs now through companies like Life Extension and things like that. Urine Uh, The other limitation to blood is it's basically like it only tells me your hormones while that needle's in your arm, right? So that's why you've got to gather multiple data points sometimes. Urine is a 24-hour test usually. It's been the gold standard for decades, but it used to be you had to pee in a, a jug for 24 hours and then we would measure your hormones and it was never covered by insurance and it was expensive, So the dried urine test, um, it does get some criticism from some OBGYNs. They, the company precision that does Dutch is, is, is a good company. They've done a lot of research 
And the beautiful thing about a 24-hour test is it's a bigger picture of you. Uh, Dutch will cover all the sex hormones, progesterone, testosterone. It also covers metabolism of those hormones. It shows you how you detoxify those hormones, which can be essential, especially with estrogen and women that are worried about breast cancer and things like that. Um, it will also check cortisol, which is super important. It checks melatonin and some of your vitamin levels. So the, the, it won't check vitamin D and it won't check thyroid. So that's a limitation. The other limitation is it's around $350, $400, depending on where you get it done. And it takes about three weeks to get your results back. So it has some of its own limitations. Saliva, and I'll put the proviso, this is my opinion. Saliva is not accurate. It's not reliable and it's not reproducible. Meaning if I, if I did a saliva test and a blood draw at the same time, the saliva is not going to say what the blood test says. So people uh, secrete hormones differently in their saliva. So it's very, very random how they come up with these levels. And it's also um, not reproducible, meaning you could do two saliva tests 10 minutes apart and they'd be totally different in the same person. Um, but it is accurate, fairly accurate for cortisol. So yeah. I only use uh, saliva for cortisol. I, I won't use it for, um, for sex hormones. Now, what about these at-home test strips like Proof or Progesterone? Mm -hmm. There's Mira and Uva that test um, for fertility where they look at progesterone and a few other hormones you know, if someone wants to track over time and they're really into knowing the day-to-day, -day, is that something helpful they can do in the meantime between tests? The problems that I have with just mail order stuff, so not the other companies, but companies that just like will ship you a kit. Are you talking about like the Let's Get Checked and Everly yeah, Well? Yeah, Everly Well. Okay. Um, and they're, they're fine and they'll give you information, but usually it's just like, here's your results do whatever you want with them. So there's really no follow-up and it's, it costs money and usually it's covered by your insurance. So, but it's convenient. They mail it to your house and I get that. Um, with the companies that are testing things like progesterone and yeah, it's definitely helpful. Uh, it's just, I guess I would look at that as long as they have the data that shows that their testing is a reliable, you know, reproducible, um, doesn't have a whole lot of true um, or false positives, uh, true negatives, things like that, then I think it's okay. And I do blame my colleagues for this. I think the reason that people are going to these types of tests is because we're not doing our job and servicing them. So these companies are coming up because people are looking. Problem is, is if you spend, say, $300 on some blood testing or whatever, and then you go to the doctor's office, I would venture to say 95% of them probably won't look at it. They won't recognize it because it's not from something they understand or they know even what it is. So right. you're going to spend a lot of money and get a lot of information. The question is, can you really use it as a marker for your health because if you go to the doctor are they just going to say oh that's ridiculous and and then order their own labs anyways but right. i think for biofeedback and and getting some ideas and getting you started sure it's definitely probably worth the time when i was speaking with the the founder of uva i know that and i think mira and, and i'm not sure about prove um because i haven't spoken to them specifically about this but with fertility clinics they're having success so anyone who's working directly with fertility, they're actually looking at that data. So 
I was happy to see that they've been able to make headway um, to get that directional information. I just wanted to share what it was like for me to go through taking the test and learning that I was the mother archetype and then reading through your examples. So the way it's set up in the book is you first, the first section, after you give the summary of types of tests, hormones, what all the hormones do, it's by archetype. And you explain um, what tends to cause, like if there's a specific illness and then um, the different symptoms that one would see. And then the second half is, okay, here's what you do for that archetype. And I will say when I took the test, because I'm a black and white person and I, I was reading the, the book and as I read each archetype, I'm like, I think that's me. I think that's me. I think that's me. And then I compared what I actually was, but what really um, like was the aha for me is when I got to your suggestions for how to support you through that archetype, a lot of them were so unbelievably spot on to my journey. Cause I started out this whole thing with women's health podcasting through my four-year fertility journey that was due to endometriosis. And so I've been experimenting for a decade now with how do I feel better? And the alcohol, 100%, like I have to be so careful with drinking. I noticed that if I have even two days in a row of wine, I have such bad anxiety. The carbs, yes, it was, it was great. Like it was really great. And so, so talk to us more how, when someone's reading your book and they're navigating through the archetypes, even if they've taken the test and kind of have the journey of, of what I had, I don't know if others have had the same reaction where it's like, but I'm every one of these. Yeah. A lot of the symptoms overlap. So the way that it works, you can read it and it'll say fatigue, which a lot of them have low testosterone, low thyroid, high and low estrogen sometimes can have fatigue. What you don't see with the quiz is on the there's everybody's got a quiz these days. The thing is mine is, uh, I think it's 35 questions or so, but you said there's a, there's a range bar on the bottom. That's totally me. That's not me. So on the back end, when you click say headaches on week three of your cycle, well, that's, that's a progesterone issue usually. So when you hit, that's totally me. It goes into a mathematical algorithm on the back end because I have it weighted and I will wait because progesterone is the cause you'll get like four times, whatever I weighted it as. And then it adds up over, it adds up during the thing. So it's a pretty mathematical algorithm on the back. And that's why I've I've had a lot of women that I had one lady email me and say, Oh, your quiz is wrong. And I'm like, well, it's just a quiz. It's not like actual (laughs) blood, blood tests, but she said, I'm hypothyroid but it said I'm hyperthyroid. And so I just said, well, when was the last time you had your blood checked? And she emailed me back like two weeks later and said, oh, your quiz was right. I'm actually taking too much thyroid medication. So oh, wow, it, it's just based on, it's not like, in, it's it's intuitive, but it's just a quiz. It's, yep. it's just because there are women out there at uh, midnight, they were told their labs are normal. They feel horrible. I think it just gives you a starting point. It gives you something to you know, hang on to and and to just get started and look. And like when you get the mother, so the mother is actually one of the few archetypes that's actually a combination of two other archetypes. So it's estrogen dominance, which is the queen and it's low progesterone, which is the unbalanced heroin. And the reason that I came up with the mother concept was because 
who is a queen and also a hero that's unbalanced, those are moms because they run the show, they're running their kingdom, um, they're heroic in everything they do, but they're not necessarily sleeping well. Their, their periods might be off. They could be gaining weight. You know, they might not be eating well. And so that's why, that's where I came up with, with the name, but, um, but yeah, it's a, it's one of those things. And usually the great thing about the protocol on the other end, the shines protocol, it's six things. Only one of those items, do you actually need a physician for, and that's the hormone part. The other five are self-care things that you can do on your own and you don't have to do all of them. You can pick one, you could pick two you, and try one at a time and see how it helps. From the supplement perspective and the, it's infaceuticals. It's the information. So like acupuncture, essential oils, energetic medicine, things like that. One of the things I was wondering as I read through it is, and I guess part of it is that trauma from the fertility journey of that supplement pile on. Mm -hmm. And so you're right. Like the self-care part, you know, all of those things are straightforward. They're not going to harm you. But what about the things that can be over the counter, like the supplements? So when I was reading it, like, for example, one of the things was take vitamin E. I'm like, well, I'm not taking vitamin E. Should I take vitamin E? Should I add it to my list? I think I'm okay. So maybe I don't need to. So how does someone, when they're reading it, like figure it out? If they're all excited, they're feeling horrible. Do they go and get on Amazon or to your website and just put it all in their cart? If I recommend supplements, I try to keep things maybe three or four at the most. I tend to be a bit more of a purist when it comes to supplements. Like I don't, I don't necessarily like proprietary formulas that have like 12 different things in them. If I'm going to use maca, I just use maca, which, you know, that's why I recommend feminescence. It's just straight maca. If I want to recommend a sleeping help, I usually will go with magnesium or hops instead of like a sleep blend that's got six things in because you may not need all six things. And those proprietary blends tend to be a little more expensive because they're proprietary. So um, it's really, um, I usually would say, look, if, if I had to pick three supplements that I think every woman would probably benefit from, uh, a high dose of fish or flaxseed oil, uh, maca-based product like feminescence or um, and magnesium, those big, those big three I think would probably work for almost all 12 archetypes. Then there might be something specific. So like for uh, an unbalanced heroin that's having problems with their progesterone, uh, Vitex or Chase Tree Berry would, would be helpful for them in, in many cases. Women that have high estrogen, like mothers, I might recommend increasing fiber and adding something like calcium deglucrate that's going to help you excrete more estrogen when you go to the bathroom. So, but that wouldn't be recommended for someone that's on estradiol. I have so many women that take DIM like uh, for to because their estrogen is too high and DIM doesn't lower estrogen levels, but a lot of, a lot of functional people think that it does, but it doesn't, it just helps you detox your estrogen a little bit better. I do have a sup, a site that sells supplements, but I'm not one of those people that makes a ton of money off of it. I try to walk the line where I want it to look like I'm, if I recommend a product, it's because I believe in it, not because yep. I'm making $30 off of it. And I don't have anything wrong with that, but, um, but I do think that, you know, some people, uh, I went to a functional doctor and I walked out with $700 worth of supplements. And oh, I, yeah. I, was, I was even confused. And so, and I just think that's standard, you know, because you make money on supplements. So yep. you have to be savvy. You have to be careful. You want to look at the labels and make sure you're not taking something that's got 15 things in it. 
I have a quick question for you about the dim then, because you mentioned that it doesn't lower your estrogen, but it clears out excess. So in my mind, maybe I'm being overly simplistic. Yeah. What it does is when you have one of the estrogens that you have in your body called estrone, that's what you excrete from your body. And so when women, um, excrete it, you can trans, you can make it into three different types of estrone. The form of thoxy metabolite tends to be more DNA damaging and possibly cancer causing. Whereas the two methoxy metabolite is actually um, less cancer causing and might actually be cancer protective. So what DIM does is it actually will help shift you from the four methoxy pathway over to the two methoxy pathway. It's not going to make you decrease your levels. It's Got just it. going to help you process it into a more productive metabolite. Um, it was funny. So as I'm reading your book, because I hadn't looked at the, all the archetypes in summary first, I'm just reading it through mm-hmm. the flow. And I read first archetype, the second archetype. And I'm like, but aren't some of these because of perimenopause and menopause? And then I keep reading through the book. And I, keep, I think a couple of them, you actually labeled that this tends to happen in, in perimenopause or menopause. So tell us about, because in this phase, I mean, the hormones are just crazy. So would you say that you could even change archetypes within this? You can change archetypes. You will change archetypes going through your cycle once a month. I mean, that's true. In the follicular phase, you're going to be more of a queen in, 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 in the, uh, you know, testosterone spikes uh, in your LH surge in the middle of your cycle, that makes you a warrior. Um, So there's, there's different archetypes. The problem is, and it's not, and that's the other thing. The archetypes aren't good or bad. It's just a storyline that helps you connect with what's going on. And, but here's the thing, you know, you could be in perimenopause and be uh, a nun because your testosterone is low. Um, and that's the overriding symptom. It's so that's the archetype. It's, it's not that you don't fit maybe three or four. It's just that that's the one that got the highest score on, on the quiz. Um, so, so that's why, and eventually um, what I'll do is I will give women, it's not currently on the quiz, but eventually what'll happen is you'll get a little bar graph that will show you how you scored in each archetype. Ah. Um, just so we got it. I didn't want people to get too confused in the yep. beginning. Yeah, um, no, I completely agree. Yeah. And so, um, and, and obviously there could have been more archetypes. Actually, the publisher wanted me to only do six, but I couldn't narrow it down to six. So you can have more combos and stuff, but, and I think that's the other thing that we get criticized sometimes from the allopathic side of things, because they don't think, like I just said, it can, you know, it's normal sometimes to go up and down. That's what the cycle is. It's up and down, but if it affects you going to work or, you know, staying home, you know, going out with your friends, that's a problem because it's interfering with how you want to live your life. So is there anything else you wanted to share that I may not have asked you? Normal isn't always normal. And so if you are, if you go in because you only know you, you know you better than anybody else. So if you go in and they test your hormones, which is, first of all, that's the first battle is getting them to do it. If they do it and they're like, oh, it's all normal. You're fine. You know, you're just getting older. And you don't feel like that's a response that you are appreciative of. Find someone else. Don't, don't just take that. As, and I think less and less women are doing that. I think the patriarchy that we used to have where it was mostly men telling women what to do um, 
is gone. Most OBGYNs now are actually women. And it's, I call it not a matriarchy. It's more of a doctorarchy now. So if you, <laughs> it's not gender specific. I think in medicine, we always kind of tell patients what to do. And my belief is you want to find a doctor that is a passive physician and have you as the active participant rather than have the doctor be active and you be passive. And so that's one thing, a mind shifts uh, set that you have to be the active participant. But if somebody tells you that something is normal, I had look, a good example and we can close on this. I have a, a physician assistant here in town. She works at a hospital, a friend of a friend and her friend called me and she's like, I don't know what to do with this. My, she's my best friend. And I've taken her to the emergency room like three times in the last month because she feels horrible and she's out, she can't go to, she can't get out of bed. She's going to work. She's exhausted all the time. Anyways, she went to an endocrinologist because she got some labs and it showed that she was actually mildly hyperthyroid. So her thyroid was too active. And the endocrinologist said, oh, you're fine. We'll just We'll just treat, we'll see you back in six months and we'll see how you're feeling. So she came to see me. I ran a full panel. Sure enough, her thyroid was pretty high. And so I just was, and she was like, I can't do this. And I'm like, done, I'm, I'm tired. And so she wasn't, she didn't feel right. Right. So I sent her to a thyroid uh, surgeon. I did an ultrasound on her neck. And they, and we ended up finding cancer in her thyroid gland. And so here's this poor, and she had a, she was a a physician assistant. So she had a medical knowledge base, but she kept being, she was told by all these people that it was fine. You know, don't worry about it. She go to the ER, everything looked great. And yet she knew inside of herself, this can't be right. She's 40 years old. I'm not, this is not how I used to live my life. I feel miserable. And, and it was just that persistence and maybe it even saved her life, you know, um, wow. not that that's an extreme case, but yes, still, of course. Uh, Makes it the exemplifies point. the fact that you just can't. And it's not about, it's not about trust. A doctors, I do believe want to do the right thing by their patients. Nobody goes into this profession thinking, oh, I'm just going to make money. And that's part of it, the job security. But we do really want to help people. I just think what happens is you look at OBGYNs now in general, I just do GYN. But if you look at OBs, they're seeing 40, 50 patients a day. And and yep. you can't you can't dive deep on hormones. Even me taking insurance, I might see 18 people a day. And that's even hard, you know, because... I have to see people to pay my staff and my overhead. Right. Um, and if you're charging 500 bucks a visit, that would be a lot easier, but I don't, because <laughs> I, I want women to have access right. to this. And so um, it's just, it's, it's hard, but you know, you, I guess is my last thing is, and, and if you don't feel right and you feel something's off, then just keep plugging away. Keep trying to find somebody. Thank you so much. Tell us a fun fact about yourself. Fun. Oh my goodness. Uh, (laughs) Well, I have a PhD that I got after my MD, uh, actually about seven years or so. Well, no, it's longer than that. After my mom died, um, I just kind of went on this personal journey of sorts and I got a PhD in philosophy. Um, but it was, uh, I traveled around South America and Mexico and actually worked a lot with indigenous shamans and just lived in those environments for a couple of weeks at a time. And I think it really just shifted my mindset that, you know, you can, you can heal a lot of things just with your brain and your mind and things like that. Now I'm not necessarily 
living that because I still stay in the, the, you know, my job and everything, but, but yeah, I, I, uh, I have a PhD in philosophy. Yeah. That is a really cool fact. Really cool. Well, thank you for sharing that. And again, thank you so much. I mean, you clearly have a passion for helping women and, um, I'm so glad that we met and, uh, we found each other on Instagram. I don't even know how the connection happened, but, um, I feel very fortunate and, and thank you so much. You're welcome.